Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that we've been lucky enough to implement here for over two years now. The product in and of itself is exactly what you need it to be, guys, with options ranging from being a workout provider, as in sending the workout directly to the student-athlete's phones, to being a place where you can communicate with them and bring together multiple streams of data to be its own dashboard for you, your coaching staff, or the athletes. Or you can use what we've added to our, our menu of Coach Me Plus activities, and that's Hydration Station, where all of this information that is provided is based off of research from the Corey Stringer Institute, where we're looking at weighing in versus weighing out and then providing optimal hydration uh, strategies for the student-athletes by them selecting through the menu and tapping on what they'll take home with them and what they're consuming prior to the next practice um, when all the numbers at the top are lined up green. It's something we've had really good success with and the kids have really bought in on. Just another great example of the awesome product that you can find at coachmeplus.com. Guys, hop over to coachmeplus.com today and check it out. It's a product I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hey, everybody. If you enjoy the podcast and the content it provides, be sure to hop over and check out the community. The community is an exclusive members website that is just an extension of what we do here in July at the Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar. What it is is a combination of video lectures, a coach's corner with your Monday morning take-home information, and a forum where you can talk about anything and everything related to the field of strength and conditioning. In the community, you'll find content added each month from some of the top practitioners in the world, ranging from PhDs to high-level coaches, bringing you exactly what they're doing with their athletes or their research at the present moment. On top of that, an additional discussion by coaches bringing you that Monday morning information, things that you can add to your training program right away. Tying that in with the opportunity to discuss with coaches around the world in the forum on anything and everything from the topics addressed in these presentations to whatever you're seeing in your daily life as a coach. If this sounds like the right thing for you and your staff, go ahead and hop over to cvasps.com community and try it out for 48 hours for just a dollar. If you like it, you're signed up, ready to roll, and you're jumping into all the great content added each month. If not, feel free to go ahead and cancel at any time. No questions asked. We're really excited about what we're building in the community and hope you are too. Go ahead and hop over to cvasps.com community and check it out today. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down and discussing readiness, preparedness, and sport mastery with Val Mizdakin. Guys, after we catch up a little bit and see what Val's been up to since we last saw him at the seminar, we're going to get right into it. And, you know, Val's going to discuss the differences between them and why it matters. And this actually leads him into talking about what actually makes up an athlete's preparedness. And then he starts talking about where this idea of readiness came from. He breaks down the physiological factors that make up readiness and then how sport mastery fits in. You know, when we finish off, talking about functional systems and how looking at that can really change how we train our athletes if we break down the systems uh, that are necessary for their improvement and and really look to develop those and, and how we develop those. This is really an awesome talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Val, thanks so much for being on with us today, bud. 
thanks, Jay. Hey, so good to be here. Listen, man, excited to have you here. Let's get people caught up. Uh, what's the latest with Val? What is he? What's he up to now? I know you're back in the states, so let's catch people up here real quick. Well, yeah, uh, it's nice to be back in the states. Spend uh, approximately four years in Finland, where primary uh, objective was to create new products. So hopefully you know those uh, like Coach Coach Plus. Uh, mobile units that's what have been achieved over the past four years unfortunately that also put a lot of restrictions on the amount of uh, time I work directly with teams or individual athletes as we were too busy trying to solve our uh, technology solution problems so but being back in the states I hope that will kind of uh, open up again those opportunities to work directly with people and helping uh, coaches and uh, organizations. Of course, the hard part is now I need to test if I even remember anything because after four years of not doing anything, I might have forgot everything already. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's not the case. Well, we'll find out, will we? <laughs> yeah, no doubt, buddy, no doubt. Well, listen, I think one thing when it, you know, when it comes to conversations that you have with people, there, there are two phrases and, or two key terms that I still think a lot of coaches interchange, and that's preparedness and readiness. And I think that um, that would be a good spot for us to start going with is what are the differences? What are they, I guess, first? And then what are the differences and, and why are people confusing them? Yeah. Well, actually, I will probably start by talking about how I came to that conclusion because to be honest if it's existed before we start doing all these experiments I was not aware of it and the way it came <clears throat> to me to even separate those two things was when we <clears throat> start using uh, our first product that was created and of course before that I coached as everybody else means uh, classic prioritization or block training, you name it. And there, in particular, in uh, classic literature, the readiness and preparedness uh, was all in the same. So there was no distinguishing differences between those terms. In some languages, in fact, it's still the same. There is uh, they can't even translate it because it's uh, appeared to be the similar term. So what happened? initially was uh, when we start getting uh, physiological data back and respond to every workout. That data showed a significant fluctuation from the baseline, right? And that fluctuation from the baseline lasted for hours, days, and in many cases, weeks. At the same time, the performance uh, level of athletes didn't change, right? So, for example, they were able to produce exactly the same type of uh, exertion while their physiological state was changing quite rapidly. Sometimes they were more tired, sometimes less tired. And so that's what first time kind of uh, made me think about there has to be explanation for this constantly changing physiological state because it doesn't in the short term in the acute form, it doesn't affect the ability of the athletes to perform. For example, if I 
test resistance kind of tests or sprint test or so these physiological changes didn't affect it right mm-hmm. so uh, then we start talking about okay so we probably should separate uh, the current functional state of the athlete like whatever it is right now at this moment from uh, overall functional state right because your <clears throat> performance parameters markers can continue to improve while your physiological uh, data can show you higher and higher accumulation of fatigue. So that was a kind of a first uh, parameters to try to understand why is it happening and how physiology doesn't linear match the ability of the uh, person to perform. And then, of course, later realization came that it's not even just about physiology. So now let's start talking about the definition and uh, changes. That was the initial problem that uh, we tried to solve. And then we came. There's actually one more um, parameter that you didn't describe. It's sports mastery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we did talk about it. So in reality, when we want to discuss overall athlete, uh, we need to discuss mastery, then preparedness, and then the readiness, right? So let's start with preparedness, then we will discuss readiness, and then we will summarize it all into what is the sport mastery, so why is it uh, important? So uh, if we talk about preparedness, we're talking about multi facet kind of cumulative state of an athlete, right? Mm-hmm. And this multifaceted state will include all the components of athlete development. First, of course, it will be uh, skill, sport-specific skill, right? Mm-hmm. Is your skill part of preparedness? Of course, the higher prepared you are as an athlete, the better skill you have. Don't confuse skill and sport mastery. So, for example, skill, I can uh, relate it, for example, if I'm a basketball player, I can uh, dribble or soccer player, right? I can uh, do all kinds of tricks with my feet and so on. It's not sport mastery yet. It's just pure biomechanical uh, precision of movement, right? Mm-hmm. So that would be uh, skill preparedness. Then, of course, but... Having a good skill is not enough because now you have to execute this skill with, uh, within certain uh, parameters of intensities, volumes. You have to be able to play on a level, let's say if we talked about Champions League uh, soccer, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not enough to have a good skill. It's absolutely crucial that you can display this skill over a prolonged period of time, 90 minutes or more with a high precision. Therefore, the second parameter of preparedness would be uh, physical preparedness, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to be uh, physically prepared to uh, execute your skill. But that's not enough as well, because you have to function within uh, tactical constraints of your team, because you're not going to be a great contribution to team if you don't function within their strategy, right? Right. So the other parameter of preparedness then would be uh, tactical 
So you have to be able to execute and understand the concept of uh, tactical applications of your team. So, uh, of course, in itself, we know many cases where you can be a great uh, tactical player, you can be very well physically developed, you have a good skill, and then in the, uh, you choke out because of uh, importance of the match or because team relying on you to, you know, score a goal or something like that. That's where the psychological component of preparedness step in. So you have to be also psychologically prepared to deal with all the stressors of the game and so on. So as I said before, preparedness is multifaceted kind of uh, state. Right. right. Yes, sir. So, and normally to achieve the level of preparedness, we have to spend, it's a long-term adaptations, of course, right? So you have to, it's a long-term process to achieve optimal preparedness. That's what happens. So, and normally in a sport environment, there is different professionals that are responsible for different components of preparedness. Right? right. So psychologists work, may work on your psychological state, conditioning coaches working on your uh, physical, physiological preparedness, uh, tactical coaches work on your tactical preparedness, but all together make it makes you the athlete that you are. And normally, any breakdown in any of those components uh, decreases your value as athlete, or decreases your probability of a successful sport career. So ideally, if all of those uh, components are taken care of. Now. So we agreed that preparedness, it's a long-term cumulative state, right? Yes. Of all kind of components. But then what uh, confused me, that's what I was, uh, where I started this conversation. What confused me in the time, if that's the case, how come I see such a huge fluctuations in uh, physiological state when we were monitoring on a daily basis responses of different athletes to training? And in some cases, these physiological responses led to decreased performance, even acute responses. In some cases, they did not. So that's where we came to conclusion it has to be separated. So the overall preparedness is clear. I already explained it. Mm -hmm. But overall preparedness cannot explain us why some very successful athlete or very successful team can perform very well today and very poorly two days down the road. So if we agree that all preparedness components are long-term, right, adaptations, mm -hmm. and long-term adaptations that already wired into your nervous system, in your uh, muscular system, they don't just go away. Right. It doesn't change overnight. So then the, what is the reason that uh, you can perform very well one day and very poorly a week from now or even a couple of days from now? And that's where we realize it normally happens because acute, not long-term, not chronic changes, but acute changes 
happen in the body, physiological changes. Unlike preparedness that is multifaceted, readiness is uh, primary physiological, right? Mm -hmm. And readiness can be uh, described as a current functional state of the biological system, right? Right. So in our case, I always said that uh, readiness is purely psychophysiological. It doesn't matter how well you prepared, let's say, I'm in the best state of preparedness. If I'm worried too much about tomorrow's game and I can't uh, get rid of the thoughts about uh, stress of performance and I don't sleep well all night, my preparedness level didn't change. It cannot change that rapidly. But the fatigue that I, that I induced on my, for example, nervous system by not sleeping, by worrying too much, it's such that this change in central or in nervous system will affect my ability to reach my level of preparedness. In other words, we can also call readiness to some degree, it's uh, similar to fatigue, right? Changes right. in readiness. So if I'm in the best state of my life, I'm very well prepared and I just go ahead and I fly around the world, cross many time zones, uh, my preparedness doesn't change. I didn't just suddenly forgot how to play. My physiology did change, though. And now, because changes in my physiology, the biological cost of everything I do is increases rapidly, right? Right. So I'm going into the game. I am start playing. And very quickly, the fatigue sets in. And suddenly, because uh, not optimal function of my uh, primary biological systems that support my uh, performance changes, and suddenly I can't display my skill mm -hmm. because you know when you are sucking air and you are fatigued, uh, doesn't matter what skill you have, it will start breaking down. Uh, the physical fatigue will also uh, affect your ability to. Uh, process information properly if you are in the game, right? So it's somewhat easier with marathon runners because the task is very simple. It's repetitive and it's uh, stride from stride. It changes very little. But when you have to deal with constantly arising new situation on the pitch, field, uh, court, right, like in tennis, you have to be able to process all of this information that happen in a round two and uh, figure out the best optimal uh, reciprocal action to that uh, condition. And that ability, because of your purely psychophysiological uh, readiness decrease, will be inhibited. So suddenly, even if you are a greatly prepared athlete, you might not be able to execute your uh, given uh, preparedness level, right? Yes. I don't know if it makes sense what I'm saying. No, 100%. So, so let's, uh, again, primary uh, differences. Uh, preparedness, it's a state of uh, multiple components. It's basically level of your skill, level of your uh, physical preparation, level of your psychological preparation, tactical preparation, and all of the above. Readiness is basically purely psychophysiologically 
and it's basically baseline that will uh, determine how well you can display your preparedness. Right. Now, said that, let's not confuse uh, preparedness and mastery, because there is, as I said, another component that is normally we don't talk about it because it's much harder to measure other than uh, the sport performance itself. Good example will be, and I've known many players like that uh, going through academies. So you can have incredible skill of dribble, whatever, right? You can uh, have incredible shot where you can hit the basket if it's basketball every time in a practice uh, or when you just shoot in baskets. You can have a great uh, physiological outcome. You can jump, you can run, you understand the tactics. But the real mastery is not, of course, all of that is component of it, but the real mastery is ability of the people to process information about the game and end up in the right place in the right time. And I've seen some incredible athletes with incredible mastery that actually haven't been properly physically developed or have even good skill for that matter. I remember I was working with, uh, back in my Soviet days, I was working uh, with, uh, within the club. Uh, it was in Kharkiv, the city in Ukraine. And we had a football club that was in Premiership uh, League of Soviet Union. And there was one football player uh, that was probably a good six feet six or so. Very clunky, could not run for the life of you, uh, could not dribble the ball the way other players did. But one year in particular, he was the best scorer in the all of Soviet Union league. Even though ball bounced off him like from the wall, he couldn't control it. It's always bounced in the goals. So he was mm. always in the right place and always in the right time, and ball would just bounce off him right in the goals. So that's mastery, right? Mm -hmm. So it's his ability of making proper decisions uh, at the right times, processing multiple channels of information coming to his uh, nervous system and making right decision what to do about uh, based on that information. That's a true mastery. Interesting. Okay, so let's take a step back really quick. When we're talking about the physiological readiness of the athlete, I think it would be good if we touch upon what those biological systems you're actually referring to are. Because I think that there are times where people maybe misinterpret some things and look at it as there is different things that really are more powerful than others. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, and I think that that's, I don't know if I would necessarily say that's a mistake or that that's maybe just like minor confusion, but maybe if you break down here quick, what actually makes up the level of readiness for the athlete? Well, you actually quite uh, properly said uh, some people think some things more important, other people think other things more important. In reality, it's true. 
And for that, we need to understand the concept of functional systems. So, for example, uh, when we talk about functional system of marathon runner, uh, what is the primary component of marathon runner, running? So what is the uh, primary system versus supportive systems? How important in uh, marathon running is state of central nervous system? Not that important, to be honest. So in marathon running, the primary components that will determine their performance will be uh, connection between uh, cardiac, cardiopulmonary system, and the muscle, right? Right. So there's uh, very little... So all the other systems will be supportive systems, hormonal, nervous system. Of course, they are important. Nobody claiming they are not. I'm just saying the primary component of performance is if you have a huge heart that can, uh, with huge cardiac output, you have highly oxidative uh, muscle, muscular tissues, maybe 95% or higher, right? Mm-hmm. So suddenly you can perform very well despite some fatiguing uh, other systems. Right. So when we talk about readiness, we have, I can, uh, let's talk on the uh, macro level. So we need to understand readiness is also can be <laughs> affected by so many different components. It can change based on your uh, molecules, Cells, so but that's a micro component of it. So when we talk about readiness, I prefer to talk about macro level. So instead of molecules, cells, uh, chemical processes, I like to talk about more because that's what we can measure. It's much harder to measure those micro components. But macro components, we talk about the overall systemic level, right? So we're talking about nervous system, hormonal system, cardiopulmonary system, and muscular system. That's the uh, four primary components of, uh, I would say, that we can measure easily, non-invasively, non-stressfully for readiness. So, and changes in those uh, components, uh, of course, will be uh, the changes we need to monitor to understand how ready any athlete is for, to display their uh, preparedness level. Of course, energy uh, system we also can discuss, but that's a little bit outside these primary systems. Right, right. So then... <clears throat> How could a coach, when, when you look at that, like how, you just said the marathon runner. So, so how do you sit there and break down looking at athletes, like what systems may be more important or do you just look at it as that's just general physiology and, and that's something that we should be able to do because of? Well, uh, of course, everything is general physiology, but the let, let's discuss that a little bit. It's more kind of complicated concept that uh, people realize. The normal scale that at least Western coaches are familiar with uh, when we try to place uh, each sport on certain scale, 
That is normally uh, defined and everybody familiar with that. So, for example, on one side of the scale, we have speed. On the other side of the scale, we have strength, right? On the middle, we have combination of speed and strength, which is explosive power. And everybody tries to squeeze uh, their sport on this scale. Correct? You're familiar with that scale, right? Yeah. So, but that's oriented by quality, output. And quite often, if we orient ourselves on output, it's not the ideal classification. To me, the ideal classification is by their biological systems. And I'll explain in a uh, little bit later why. So when we classify people by functional systems, it's a completely different uh, concept. So first, do I need to give definition of what functional system is? I don't want people to confuse functional training, which is trend right now, and the actual term functional system. Yeah, let's do that. Because this is an additional problem we're facing in the Western world uh, that we quite often use in terms that are already occupied in science, but we use them for different purposes. And that creates a lot of misunderstanding. So actually in one of the meetings I was uh, present where we had discussions between um, medical staff, scientific staff, and performance professionals. The very apparent thing was to me is very, uh, very apparent. So A, when scientists spoke, it was very, very clear because what they say is uh, cast in stone. The definitions are definitions and are definitions. When medical staff spoke, it was very clear because you could not assign any other interpretation of what they are saying other than the what language they used, right? It's a medical terminology. Mm -hmm. It's a scientific terminology. When uh, performance specialists were speaking, you quite often don't understand at all what the hell they're talking about. Because what they say and what they mean can be different in different performance specialists' head. There was no underlying terminology. So it's a big problem when we actually try to incorporate science, uh, knowledge of science into the uh, methodology of training because first we need to at least agree on what the terminology means. So when I say functional system, I mean exactly what we wrote about it. It's a dynamic self-regulating structure of biological components that work in unison to achieve a useful adaptive results. Yep. Is it hard to process? No. It's basically a combination of biological systems working together to achieve one useful result. Right. So that's why for marathon runners, the most useful development will be development of their cardiac or changes in their cardiac system and the muscular system. For sprinter, it will be changes in their uh, nervous system or neuromuscular system. 
as a primary, right, components. Of mm -hmm. course, all the other components need to be improved and play supportive role. Uh, in some sports, it can be sensory motor component and functional system is built around sensory motor uh, core and so on. Right. So that's why when we talk about readiness, we need to clearly understand uh, what are the primary components in your sport or in your functional system for given sport and pay primary uh, you know, primary attention to those components. Good example would be uh, heart rate variability is good method. Everybody crazy going crazy about heart rate variability. But if I measure heart rate variability, let's say in elite explosive athletes, it may or not may not be a good indicator for me at all. Right? Mm -hmm. How many athletes you know where? Heart rate variability is always optimal in their state. Basically, the better developed athlete is, the less fluctuations you will find in their heart rate variability. So if athletes less developed, then we can see very significant uh, changes in heart rate variability. But in very, very well properly developed athletes with properly developed functional systems, heart rate variability doesn't change that much. It's constantly on the same level. So for them, identification of readiness, to identify readiness, this method will be not very effective. Then we need to look at other methods, either measure depending on the type of sport they're in, either measure their sensory motor processes or measure their, uh, let's say like in some sport, in the explosive sports, maybe a function of, uh, central nervous system, because that's what become a limiting factor, primary. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there's no one answer to your question, what parameters. It depends on what type of functional system you're trying to build. 100%. Now, going back, though, too, I guess we're probably on a little bit of a different page here. Looking at HRV, I think that one thing people confuse the most with it is that higher is always better. Like a greater number when they're just looking at that is always better. And I think that yeah. that's, that's a spot too where we look at it that I, I think people kind of miss the boat on a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I see that problem quite often myself. Uh, well, we need to understand a very simple concept. Concept. And this concept, let's uh, go from medicine, because let's discuss simple things, normal, abnormal, right? Mm -hmm. Because medicine always uh, deals with those primary simple concepts, normal, abnormal. So heart rate variability, actually method that analyzes heart rhythm, correct? Right. Okay, so let's then use medical knowledge about heart rhythm. So what considered normal in medical field and what considered uh, abnormal? So the normal in medical field considered sinus arrhythmia, right? Mm -hmm. Or what a uh, simple term for it is breathing arrhythmia. Do I need to explain what it is? 
Probably not. Yeah, Everybody no. knows what sinus arrhythmia. Right. So that would be desired normal state for cardiac rhythm, according to medical terminology. Now, let's start talking about abnormalities in the cardiac rhythms, right? Mm-hmm. On one side, when your sympathetic system becomes more and more dominant, this uh, sinus rhythm start changing into stable rhythm, where is less variation, right? Mm-hmm. And then rigid rhythm, which is very little variation at all. So we already know that moving from that sinus rhythm to on the sympathetic side toward the rigidity is uh, moving into abnormal state. But now it can also happen on the parasympathetic side. As the sympathetic regulation is withdrawal and you start getting more and more parasympathetic influences, we also move away from that sinus rhythm gets disturbed. It goes into what called uh, parasympathetic arrhythmia, where we don't observe that nice sinus rhythm anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So, therefore, by medical standard, it would be considered abnormal. It would qualify as arrhythmia, even though at that stage, the parasympathetic system is very, very high. In fact, it's primary dominant system that controls uh, cardiac activity. Right. Did I answer your question? Yeah, or? no, 100%, because you're still now looking at when that parasympathetic activity is, is that high, your HRV is going to be extremely high. But if you don't know... But that, there is no sinus rhythm. Right. And that's what considered norm. Yes, the parasympathetic, high parasympathetic is good as long it still produces sinus rhythm. If it's too high when sinus rhythm is uh, not present anymore, it's not good anymore. Right. And now you're looking at detriments to not just performance, but health as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So now, Val, let's touch on something here to close it out, man. So we're looking at all the functional systems. We've identified some things. Now, now where, when it comes to actually building these athletes, when you're talking with these people and you're listening to these different groups, where, where, if any, do you see any parts of training that may be overlooked or overdone when you're talking about people in the Western world? Well, the biggest problem, honestly, it's funny you ask that. There is so many great coaches out there and there is so many different ways to success. I wouldn't say, I don't want to go into detail, tell you what they're doing wrong. Let's start, because we need to start from a kind of thousand feet view first before we start drilling down into details. What I observed and what uh, I think is the most problem we're facing, and it's not only in Western world. Nowadays, it appears to be all over the world. So there's two ways of how we can uh, create, our, make our decisions, right? Because the very simple thing, when we talk about training, 
coach needs to be able, in the best possible way, answer following questions. Why? Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what? Yep. Uh, when? How much? And how hard? Right. So each answer to it uh, requires certain level of knowledge. How do we obtain this knowledge? So as of right now, when we look at most of the coaches, I am not saying all, there is gr- great number of exceptions, but I'm talking most. They use, in, do you understand the difference between inductive way of thinking and deductive way of thinking? Yes. Okay, so most of the coaches use an inductive way of thinking. For example, there is in the field, there is very many, many uh, knowledge-based organizations, individual coaches, and so on. So what these coaches do, they read lots of articles, they read lots of textbooks, they look on the internet what's happening, and if they use inductive system, they say, okay, look, these five coaches, the primary knowledge bearers, telling me that weightlifting is good for my athletes, right? Right. So inductively, I make a connection that I need to do weightlifting because it's inductive. Mm-hmm. And it appears to be true because everybody's saying, but then suddenly there is somebody outside of that group. Let's say... In fact, you were t- meeting with uh, Arsenal today, right? Yeah, we t- I talked with... Uh... Okay. Arsenal is well known, at least before, I don't know now, where they did not use uh, too much uh, weightlifting at all. Mm-hmm. And yet, they showed very good performance. So suddenly, that conclusion that you came to by inductive reasoning, by looking what else everybody's saying is fallible right so the proper way of making decision is deductive way and there's whole uh reasons and logics how to work in deductive ways for example the deductive coach would come to that conclusion okay not just that weightlifting is good right Deductively, I can come to conclusion, why is it good? What type of biological adaptations it allows me to produce in my athlete? And then the deductive coach can say, do I need to do weightlifting? Or I can produce this type of adaptations by other means. If he, so the difference between inductive and deductive, deductive people have a very strong system of thinking in their head. And it's... Uh, Actually, we call it, or in our opinion, we call it uh, physiological intelligence, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So that system, you compare all of that information in the free domain. You go take it through this system of thinking. So that way, deductively, you can decide not just what these people are doing, but why what they are doing creates a benefit for your athlete. So suddenly you are a lot better at not just following somebody's advice, 
but comparing it to your own created uh, system of thinking, you choose this is valid, this is not valid. This is valid, this is not valid. You know what I'm talking about? 100%. Very good example. Uh, lately, I read more and more on, let's say, uh, speed and power development, right? Right. And if I read most of the uh, articles that measure the uh, precise curves of uh, weightlifting application came to conclusion that the primary way to develop speed and power is 85% of uh, one rep max with certain velocity, and you have to do certain amount of repetitions because if uh, power production decreases during your uh, acute uh, exercise bout, you have to stop, and so on. You, you are familiar, I'm pretty Correct. sure, with that, right? Yes. If I'm working with sprinters and I looked inductively in all of these articles, I say, oh, I don't need any type of other weight lifting because they are not contributing to my speed and power development. So I'm going now to stick with this program only. Correct? Correct. Now, but if you have a different uh, model of what you need to create as a biological system in your head and you compare everything to that, you say, that's true. Okay, so for actual output, that would be absolutely true. But what about concept of thresholds? Do you understand concept of thresholds? Yes. For example, uh, I'm not talking about uh, heart rate thresholds or any of that stuff. I'm talking about we biologically have system of thresholds built in our body that we cannot exceed. So a muscular system, nervous system, all of these systems have certain limitations and those limitations called threshold if you step over first of all your body not capable of even uh, step over that threshold right mm -hmm. now but i see if you're trying to create the athlete that performs at the huge huge margin like of their abilities right you need to move them above those thresholds Correct? Correct. You need to teach their system, their biological system, how to push that threshold much further and still operate without breaking down, right? Because everybody mm -hmm. can step over threshold, but you will break down before you know. Right. So, well, in some cases, you can't even step over that threshold. In that case, Weightlifting with one rep max and actually failure where you can't lift it and you need to have assistance is a very good way to teach your nervous system to step over that neuromuscular threshold. Even though it might not directly uh, affect your speed and power production. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It has a different benefit. Right. So if you use an inductive system, you will come to conclusion, I'm going to eliminate any other weightlifting than the ones that directly produces uh, this type of you know, speed and power improvements. But if you have system of thinking, you think, but that's not enough. Now I need to push this organism over 
like extend their threshold level in neuromuscular function. And there, Wander Max can be quite beneficial. So I think, and this is uh, what we should probably be doing, actually helping people to understand or create that system of thinking in their heads, right? Right. That they can, uh, it will be between them and all the information out there in the free domain. So they can apply this knowledge, apply this system of thinking uh, to separate what's true, because true and always true is two different things, right? Yes. So, for example, logically we can say, uh, well, uh, what's the, uh, all humans are apes. That's true. Mm -hmm. But it's not always true. Because not all apes are humans. That's, no, that's always true. So, this is the system I think that is lacking, the system of thinking that uh, really to see step forward in coaching, I think we need to uh, create that system of thinking. I love it. I think that's awesome. I think that the one thing that we can always do is challenge ourselves to be better and think better and find better ways. And Val, I couldn't have said it better myself, my man. I love it. I think that's, that's the inductive versus deductive, I think is a, is a fantastic, perfect idea. And I think that's a great spot to end it on brother. I, I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us today. This is absolutely fantastic. People are going to love it, my man. Okay. Well, and uh, good luck with that. Yeah. Val, thank you so much, buddy. We'll be in touch real soon. Okay. Talk thanks. to you soon. Yeah. Bye. And a huge thanks to Val Nisdakin for taking the time and talking with us today. Guys, Val is always open, candid, honest, absolutely fantastic. You know, the whole idea of thinking um, – Changing how we're thinking to look at what we're doing to better prescribe what we're doing for the athlete, right? I mean, just absolutely fantastic stuff right there. Thinking about, you know, what the adaptation that we need to occur to, for that athlete to perform better and then prescribing based upon that are some things that really are, are, are eye-opening and, and really should open our minds to, to new ideas as to what we're doing with our program with our athletes. Can't thank Val enough for being so open, honest, and candid with us today. Absolutely fantastic stuff. And as always, guys, if you enjoyed the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. Just trying to spread the word, guys. Great, Trying to get great information out to all the great coaches out there. So if you wouldn't mind passing it on, we would greatly appreciate it. And if you got two seconds and could leave us an, uh, a review on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate that as well. And as always, guys, thank you for everything you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.